Hello and welcome to Grow Up Summer School, an APG Canada podcast where we give strategic thinkers and creative tinkerers opportunities to grow. I'm your host, Michelle Lee, and this week on the show, we will be talking culture. Culture is one of the key ingredients to building any successful brand. So for the next few days, we will be exploring this topic from all different angles, from how to connect with niche groups to how to leverage TikTok. Today's topic, how to build culturally iconic brands. Today, we're talking to Chuck Welch, founder and CSO at Rupture Studio. Just before we dive in, we'd like to give a special shout out to the team at Sister Merci for sponsoring today's episode. As one of Canada's leading supporters of strategic planning, they have shown a keen interest in continuing to help us foster and strengthen Canada's strategic talent. And for that, we thank you. Now let's get into the show. Uh, thank you for having me, Michelle. Uh, my name's Chuck, and what I do is kind of help clients have a point of view, and that's, that's kind of the way I look at it. Uh, what we think about strategy is, is helping clients make choices. That's on the future for for lack of a better word, within the constraints, you know, that they have. And, you know, our job is to go into boardrooms and corporations and brands and, and help them understand how to connect with people and contribute uh, in the spaces and places that matter to them. And that's what we do at Rupture Studio. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you make it sound so simple, but I'm sure it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, connecting with people, connecting brands to culture. Um, I, I'm curious, like you have a very interesting background. And I think one that is not necessarily uh, similar to what a, a lot of uh, strategists in this industry have. I mean, everyone comes in through a different way. Um, but I'm yeah. really curious about what you learned while you were at Jeff Jam and Naked um, and how you've applied those learnings or the time you spent there to your consultancy today, or, or even like the, how you came up with Rupture Studios and, and kind of the, 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 the vision behind it. Oh man, that's a, that's a big question, Michelle. What did I learn at Def Jam? I mean, that was like my, I guess you would say my boot camp. Uh, you know, I was working for uh, Russell, had a marketing company that was inside of Def Jam uh, called Rush Media. And at the time, I was kind of a hybrid uh, working on the brand side. We were working with, you know, HBO and Coca-Cola, doing lifestyle marketing and entertainment marketing, and then working on the Def Jam side. So uh, my job was to, I guess, inside of the, the organization, kind of connect the dots between different parts of the organization, whether, you know, because Russell had a ton of different businesses, you know, and he, he dabbled in comedy and, you know, he, he had poetry, he had an internet company, he had a clothing company. And my job was to kind of weave the dots between all these different things and see what the opportunities are. I hate the word, but synergies for lack of a better word. Uh, but what I learned at Def Jam was I learned kind of the, the strength of a brand. You know, what does a brand mean? And the way Def Jam looked at brand was that it was a living, breathing organism. It wasn't kind of this lifeless, uh, amorphous thing. It's like the brand mattered more than the artist. The brand mattered more than uh, the album. It was about having a, a, a point of view on the world, about leading, about innovation, about being tied to your intuition and not cutting that off. It was about thinking very, very deeply about what you're trying to do. And it was about people showing up and contributing to that brand. So, you know, I've worked at a lot of companies where people live off the brand. You know, if you go to 
a widening candidate or if you go to whatever hot agency, oftentimes there are people in these companies where the brand kind of makes them who they are. It was the it was the inverse at Def Jam. You you were expected to contribute to the meaning of the company and you were kind of held to account. You know, it was a it was a different place. It was the late 90s, you know, it was it was street energy, you know, it was the energy of hip hop. You know, it's very different than <laughs> very different than an ad agency, man. It was it was it was aggressive, you know, uh, and that was kind of the the environment uh, that that shaped me. People competed against each other to to make each other better, and they pushed each other uh, to make each other better. And everybody was kind of competing and like pushing each other further and, and farther. And that's kind of what, you know, that was what I learned from Def Jam in terms of marketing at Def Jam, like, you know, Naked's whole philosophy was everything communicates, but, you know, at Def Jam, they lived and breathed that before I even knew what that meant, because like they did everything from, you know, traditional advertising to, you know, for the artists to, you know, showing up in a mascot suit and walking around the street uh, to drive energy or, you know, street team marketing, which I did a lot of uh, for the company. Uh, to events, to influencer marketing, to all these different kind of forms of of, of communication and connection uh, to get an artist out there and to build a brand. And this is all this was all pre kind of pre digital or just kind of at the at at the nascent introduction of, of, of digital marketing. So it, it was more about like how do you show up and and impact people, you know? And that was something that uh, you know we did that I that I took into. Uh, the agency world. Yeah. Pre, pre TikTok for sure. Pre TikTok. You know, I was doing influencer marketing in the late nineties and early two thousands where you, where you're, these aren't influencers. These are people who are literally shaping the images and the ideas and the style and the fashion and the energy that you see out in the world, but you didn't know who these people were. They were kind of invisible. You know, they weren't on social platforms. They weren't out touting themselves. Like the PR person wasn't the star back then. You know what I mean? Like these people were behind the scenes. So you kind of had to know who these people were because these are the people who were putting ideas out there, whether they're producers or whether they're DJs or whether they're executives or party promoters or whoever the hell they were. But uh, we found a way to connect with them to, to fuel, the type, fuel the brands that we were working with and the artists that were on the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, you used a really interesting and I and imagine loaded word earlier, and that was lifestyle marketing. I'm, I'm curious mm-hmm. as to how you define lifestyle marketing. And then also, you know, on your site, you talk about bridging the street and the suite. And so is there any of you talk a little bit about what you mean by that? I mean, lifestyle marketing was very different. I mean, you're talking about, this is like late nineties to early two thousands. And it's like, you're living literally it was your life you were living and breathing this stuff you were going out to the clubs you were listening to the music you were dressing a certain way you were connecting with people who who shared a a similar ideology and you just happen to take the brands or the artists that you work with into the spaces that you that that you were living and it wasn't i hate the term traditional marketing it's like how do you connect you know whether getting your brands in a music video or doing an events for doing you know doing events or activations for you know a room full of influential people from record labels or athletes or whoever the hell it was like how do you connect to the passion points uh that drive people and position the brand in in, in a way uh where 
it, it accrues meaning because the brand is a is a arbiter of the thing that you're celebrating. You know, whether it was Cavassier, uh, you know, showing up in these spaces and 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 getting a, a song made about it that we helped engineer, or it was you know Coca Cola showing up in communities and and you know recruiting local youth uh, to, and giving them jobs for the summer. It's like how do you how do you appeal to the passions of the people. And that's kind of the way I thought about lifestyle marketing. Then that's the way I still think about it. Yeah, the tools and the platforms change, but the intended impact is the same. Yeah, you know, it, it's really interesting. And I think it's um, it's very simple. We, we always start usually in our kind of, you know, description of the target or the consumer or whatever. You, you think about, well, how old are they? You know, how much money do they make? Where do they live? What do they look like? But what are they into? Like, <laughs> feels like maybe yeah. that question should be, you know, go up the food chain a little bit. Um, yeah, what are they into and what are the, what are the problems? Because I mean, I've evolved since, I mean, since then, that's the reason I'm in this business, but the way we kind of look at it is what are the problems that you solve? So early in my career, it was about tapping into cool, right? You're living, you're breathing it, you're part of this, this world of the influential people, right? Then as you evolve, you understand, hey, the world is much bigger and much more complex and people have big problems, you know? So kind of the way we've evolved and the way I've evolved as a, as a, as a marketer and as a strategist, I, I tend to look at socioeconomics, you know, how people live, what are the, what are the forces that shape people, whether it's housing or healthcare or schooling or, you know, poverty or racism or all these different systems and forces that shape the mind and, and the, the physical kind of body of people. And we start there. So how do people live? What's, what ails people? And then, you know, hopefully you can position your brand and the power and the resources and the scale and the media of, of corporations to show up and contribute. So it's, it's evolved from cool to contribution. And I think a lot of people in the agency still play in the cool space. Like, I don't give a fuck about the cool space. I've been around cool for many, many years. That doesn't impress me. Contribution is what impresses me. So what we try to do is help a client think about how they can contribute, you know, to culture, not co-opt it, but contribute to it. What are the spaces and places what, what are the problems with, that people have or, or what are the deficits in cultural spaces where a brand can contribute something? And yeah. that's been a shift, shift in my thinking uh, over many years in this business. Yeah, I, I feel like that's, you know, very much, uh, if I'm understanding it correctly, kind of like mm. pur purpose brands more eloquently put. And like back when I started, right, it was very top down, right, you know? You you ingested what people told you to ingest, whether that's corporations, whether that's sports leagues, whether that's video games, whatever form of entertainment or marketing or communication, it was pushed to you. Now people can find cool on their own, right? Like they don't need a corporation to find cool, right? You can you can see cool 24-7 on your phone. You don't need me for that. Yeah. But what you do need a corporation for us to solve the problems that you couldn't solve on your own. And that's kind of where we, we, we try to force a client to go because that's the place of value, yeah. right? 
like where is the where are the places of value that a that a that a brand can show up and do things you couldn't mm-hmm. because then that's that's additive to your life right yeah 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 um you know, I know we've talked before, you know, uh-huh. I've tried to get the, the secret sauce out of you and, and you've talked about. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> the, the, I don't you, know what the secret sauce is. Yeah, <laughs> let's bottle it right now. Uh-huh. Um, you've talked about being hardwired to culture. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you, you've probably talked around this a little bit already, but how, how would you define that? And and I also know you're, you're a dad of two kids. Um, you know, my kids are getting a little older, so I'm starting to feel more yeah. hardwired into culture than I had the last. Yeah. But how do you keep your finger on the pulse? And what do you mean by staying hardwired to culture? But I, I don't keep my finger on the pulse. Mm. There's, there's nobody who keeps their finger on the pulse. Who, yeah. who, tell me some. Tell me. Tell me one person who keeps their finger on the pulse. Maybe you could 15 to 20 years ago. Well, I'm not, there's my no, finger's not on the pulse. That's why I couldn't tell you. <laughs> but there's, but there's, no, there's, there's no way in hell you can keep your finger on the pulse of culture. Yeah. There's too much. Yeah. There's too much. There's no way. There's too many artists. There's too many athletes. There's too many trends. There's too many dances. There's, there's too many memes. There's no, and if an individual tells you that, run. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because it's because they're trying to sell you some snake oil. Yeah, yeah. And when I say hardwire the culture, my job is to help clients understand shifts in how people live. And a lot of times these shifts are 15, 10, 15, 20 years long, right? Mm-hmm. I think I think agencies often sell clients the snake oil. <laughs> because I, I I was in the agencies that I helped sell snake oil. That was my job. Yeah. Right. Oh, the world's changing so fast. Oh, everything's it's not. <laughs> The world actually shifts very, very slowly. Yeah. Cultures shifted, cultures changed very slowly since the 70s. But if you literally look at how people dress for the last 20 years, it's barely evolved. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So the way I look at it is like, how do you understand the the go beneath the surface of shiny trend and fad, whatever the latest meme is? That's not the game we're in. That's mm-hmm. the agency game. That's the influencer game. That's not that's not the game we play. Mm-hmm. Our, our job is to help corporations and clients understand shifts in mindset, shifts in the way I live. Yeah. Things in the past that that are coming back, right? Yeah. So when I say hardwired the culture, I'm an old man, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm old, but I've seen things come and go, and I and I see things come back. So when they come back, you have historical context. You can put things in context, right? Yeah. You can you can you can see patterns, right? Yeah, you can you can anticipate how things show up because you've seen them and you can feel them and you yeah. can watch them come back because the, like as as the as the as the cliche says nothing is original mm-hmm. right P- mm-hmm. people are always gonna push to express themselves and stand out from the crowd right people are always gonna always gonna want to to be cool. Certain ages of people are always going to want to push the boundaries of, of, of who they are and explore their identity. If you understand that, you understand the way culture works. Culture works in a certain way and it, it evolves and it changes, but it doesn't evolve and change drastically. Not as much as the industry would, 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 would have, have you believe. There are a lot of people who make a lot of money off of getting clients scared about change <laughs> yeah <laughs> the agency world exists partly to do that right 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it, and you see everybody's selling the metaverse. Yeah. <laughs> people are selling. People are selling because they. It's it's like it's like this is an industry full of analyst chases, man. It just is. It always has been, right? When I when I came in, it was whatever. It was brand entertainment was the big thing. Content's the big thing. Hey, the metaverse is the big thing. It's not one thing. Yeah. Our job is to design communication experiences that connect, and it's not one channel or, or one idea. All it is is choice. Mm-hmm. All we have is choice. Mm-hmm. The only thing that can't be brought in-house is an objective point of view. That's all we have. Yeah. That's all we have as service providers to corporations. Yeah. And our job is to help clients make the best choices that they can within the constraints that they have, whether time, money, competitive, internal politics, uh, regulatory, whatever the, whatever the constraints are to make the best choice to connect and, and, and deepen a relationship with people. That's it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I know that sometimes planners can get, get too caught up, you know, in these books and the academia and the theories. And, and I, I feel like you probably don't even think of yourself as a, I mean, maybe I, maybe you do. Do you think of yourself as a strategist or planner? Like I remember it at Naked, you know, we were all, we were all brilliant misfits. Um, I'm, I'm curious kind of what your approach is. And what I feel like you're going to say is it's just about, you know, getting out there and living, right? Like there has to be, you know, there is some, maybe some of that theory or whatever it is okay to, to balance your thinking or th- you stretch the way you like look at things. Um, but how, how would you kind of describe your, your approach? Uh, good question. I mean, I, 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 I used to, when I first started, cause I didn't know, sh- I remember when I was working, I worked at, at a, when I worked in Deutsch, Russell, Russell did a joint venture with Donnie Deutsch. That was the first agency I ever walked into. Right. So I had a desk at Def Jam and a desk at Deutsch, and I'd go back and forth during the day. And I had to say, it was like going from a party to a bank. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I guess you could, you could, you could probably assume which one's the party and which one's the bank, right? Mm. And there was new people that got hired to work with the agency called was called D Rush, mm. and there's a woman named Jill Linton, and she was the you know, British, and she's a friend to this day. And she said, I'm a planner in her, in her British accent. I said, like, what the fuck is a planner? I do shit. <laughs> I was like, I do shit. You know what I mean? Like, what the fuck is a planner? What, is, what does that mean? I do shit. I'm out here making shit happen for these brands. I'm in the clubs. I'm throwing parties. I'm getting the branded videos. I'm getting songs created. Like, I do shit. Like, what is a planner, mm-hmm. right? So, like, I, I like, I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as I, as I grew through my career, I didn't think, I never thought of myself as a planner. I thought of myself as somebody makes shit happen. But as I, as I grow now, I just do it by making better choices for clients, but still having that, that connection because, you know, it can't be academic. Mm-hmm. You know, this thing's got to live, man. It's got to live and breathe. And I came from early in my career, the shit was living and breathing out in the world. Like you can literally see the, you, 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 it was like cause and react. You can see a movie made and you can see the reaction if you did it right. So uh, my job is to, is to be connected to the real world, not connected to the corporation, not connected to an agency when I worked in them. They were just places where I had a desk. 
that's the mm-hmm. that's the way I, I I looked at my 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 agency relationships. I just had to have a desk there, but like I didn't live in the agency world, right? Like that wasn't my sphere of influence. My sphere of influence were, were my friends and the people I knew in fashion and music and art and photography and entrepreneurs and, and people out in the world kind of sh- changing and shaping the way we think about ourselves and our, and our identities. So the way I look at, at brand building is how do you connect to those people uh, and people who follow those people, but it's not academic. It's very, it's very simple. Right? And I try to make it very simple because it's hard as hell <laughs> to get a client to, sh- to shift their thinking, you know? Yeah. Uh, so we try to keep it simple. And what the way we think about that is we bring the outside in, you know, pre-COVID, of course, we're bringing people into the boardrooms, right? So they can have conversations with clients. So this stuff is, it's not, it's not just people on a spreadsheet, like right? you're actually talking to people or we bring clients out into the world into the neighborhoods, into the hood to, to, to understand how, how people live, into the home, you know, to, to understand these realities, especially when you, you're trying to reach youth or, or, or youth of color, black youth or whatever it is, you know, there's, there's real challenges that a lot of these kids deal with, right? So how can you really bring your audience to life so they, they're emotional? It's not, it's not, it's not static. You know, we try to really, uh, you know, illuminate the audience so a client can understand like there's a living, breathing human on the end of whatever communication or, or campaign or, or brand expression that you have. So it's, you know, they they know uh, that they're going to be held to account because it's like it's not just you're pushing, you're pushing paper and pushing product like you're connecting people. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do think, you know, in terms of connecting with people that, I mean, of all the places that I've worked and, you know, you, you know, you've worked at more interesting places than I have, but of all the places that I've worked naked in this, this notion of brilliant misfits, the, I think the intention was right because it still remains probably the most eclectic or diverse group of people that I'd ever worked with. And I think that that allowed us to have quite divergent thinking, um, you had people from the corporate world, you know, closer into advertising, but also people who, who weren't. Um, and I know that that's something that a lot of agencies kind of aspire to. Did, did you feel that within Naked? Or do you think that that maybe helped um, push your thinking in different directions by being able to be amongst people who had different backgrounds? Uh, yeah, I mean, Naked was a, Naked was a training ground for me you know Def Jam taught me brand and, and culture they could taught me strategy you know uh Matt Matt Hardesty taught me the game I'll be forever grateful MT Carney taught me she taught me the game so and you know it, it helped you take all that energy and that that cultural understanding to be able to 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 codify it and express it and in, in a way that clients understood uh, helps you think about communication, but to be honest, it was very similar to Def Jam, the way they thought, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was very similar. It felt like home because like, it was like very similar thinking. It was cultish, right? It was us against them, right? It was the fuck you attitude. It was, you know, a group of close-knit people who were pushing to shape an industry. Uh, it was showing up and being yourself and 
talented like it is. It was having a point of view. It was building a, a great brand. Like Naked, best branding was for itself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had lots of yeah. trouble going back over the border, though. I don't know if it caused you problems. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was With a, my that, working that was the best, visa. Yeah, that was, that was the best branding ever. Like, make, yeah. make its own brand was better than the brands we built for clients. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was very similar in that respect. You know, you know, they created an environment that 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 fostered creativity and uh, imagination because they didn't put boundaries or you didn't have to show up and you know, be a certain way or think a certain way or act a certain way. It was very, very freeing environment, you know, and they created kind of uh, environment that attracted a lot of great talent, just like Def Jam did. They had the best talent on the planet, you know, and a lot of those people are still running the music business to this day. And it's the same thing in, in Naked. A lot of people came out of there, or CSOs or CEOs or entrepreneurs or presidents or companies or, or what have you, because it kind of, created this breeding ground of, uh, uh, of imagination, you know, which, which kind of helped me think about entrepreneurship in a different way as well. Right. Well, you have given uh, us a lot to think about some, some really amazing sound bites. My personal favorite, what the hell's a planner? I'm thinking to put that in the front. I, I still don't know what a, 20 years later, I still don't know what a planner, like what the hell was a planner? You mean like what does that mean? Yeah. A planner. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like a, it sounds like somebody who's a secretary, like you you're scheduling appointments or something. I don't know what that means. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, there has been that de debate about you know planning versus strategy or planner versus strategist. I think strategist is one, but yeah, but strategist. I, I call myself a strategist because I make choices. Mm. Strategist, a planner is devoid of a point of view. You're just putting together a plan. The strategy is you have to make choices. You have to have vision. You have to project what success looks like in the future, right? Like it's it's a it's a it's a very active, creative pursuit, right? I think it's the most creative pursuit there is because like you're literally putting millions of dollars on the line by the choices you make. You're putting your reputation on the line because like especially us, our thinking is the only thing we sell. <laughs> we don't have a product. We don't have a shiny, we don't have a shiny ad campaign or we don't have websites or we don't have anything. We have to show up in the corporation and add value to the way we think, right? And that's all comes down to the choices that we help them make. Yeah, great. Well, I think, uh, I think we'll end it there. Thank you again so much for taking the time to chat with us. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Grow Up. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share this episode and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts.